All right. We're going to begin the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you, have, if you want to dismiss the kids to go downstairs to Sunday school, that's great. I try to get them to stay, but they're like, nope, we're out of here. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And before I begin, uh, I just want to welcome our guests this, this morning. And if you, uh, there should be a, a guest invitation or guest card in the seat back in front of you. If you don't mind filling that out and let us know who you are and if there's anything that we can do to help minister to you, that'd be wonderful. We just want to try to make a connection with you. And our goal is to, to do what God has called us to do, and that is to minister to those in our community. And so we'd love the privilege to do that by filling that out. And you can give it to me or. Uh, afterwards after the service that'd be wonderful um ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 is where we're going to be i have it to admit that i had my outline all ready to go so typically my my week goes and i start figuring out what i'm going to preach but i don't put anything on paper until saturday as far as like creating the my sermon script and slides and all that stuff and I had every intention, <laughs> had an outline to go through the, the remaining of uh, chapter of, of, five, of chapter 5. Um, and as I opened up God's Word yesterday morning, and my intention was just to bounce through these two first verses and continue on and spend most of the sermon on the last half of, of chapter 5 after these two verses. But as I began to ponder them and... So I begin to con consider the things that have been heavy on my heart this week, and that's the, the tragedy that is just going on on the other side of the world in Afghanistan. Um, I, as, uh, I just felt like this is where God would have us camp today in verses 8 and 9. And it's, uh, it's difficult for me because it's the, the, what we're going to be talking about today is, is, ha is hard, but I, I think it, it speaks to the fact that we're in a hard time in history and so I hope to give you hope through some some hard teaching and preaching today I hope that it'll come out of here you'll f come out of uh, this morning feeling encouraged and understanding uh, better understanding because if you're like me it's really hard to look at what's going on and just with that without being feeling like you're hopeless and not able to do anything about it, and just seeing the world seems to be unraveling before our eyes. And uh, so I just want to focus on that today, focus on God, and hopefully that you'll be encouraged. So let's go ahead and get into the word here. These two first verses, the word of the Lord says this, If you see oppression, Solomon says, of the poor, and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation. Because one official protects another official, and a higher official protects them. The profit of the land is taken by all. The king is served by the field. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord. Uh, thankful, God, that uh, you have extended your grace and mercy through um, allowing your son to come to this earth, to your creation, take upon the form of man to live the law to its fullest and perfection that we could not do, only to go to the cross and pay for our penalty, to pay for the sin that we have 
uh, violated and rebelled against you, Father, Jesus took the penalty for us. And in that, you've extended your grace, your unmerited favor, and your unmerited love and your mercy. You've withheld from us what we truly deserve, and we're so thankful for the gospel, God. We're thankful that we can come to you as your children now through what Jesus has done, and we can present our cares and concerns and our burdens before you. And we're thankful that we know that, that you listen, not only that you listen, but you have chosen to use the means of your children's prayers as a means of working in this creation. And we're grateful for that opportunity, that responsibility, uh, that privilege, Father, to be able to pray to you. And so we come to you now, Lord, with broken hearts, uh, frank, quite frankly, of what's going on in this world. Um, the fog seems to be lifted and it just seems to be unraveling. And so we come to you, Father, with um, open ears, open eyes, open hearts this morning, Father, asking that you would work in us through the power of your spirit, that you would encourage those who need to be encouraged, even through this difficult passage of the passages that we're recovering today, that you would uh, convict those who need to be convicted, Lord, that you would work in our midst that you'd be glorified as we proclaim your word and that it would be for our good. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. So Solomon uh, is writing the book of Ecclesiastes. Last week we, he gave us wisdom. He's actually started giving us some, some straightforward wisdom. He says this is that you need to have a heart of humility and a fear of the Lord if you go into the house of the Lord to worship. And we, we took the time to, to apply it to our lives in the New Testament context that now we are the temple of God. And so God desires for us to, uh, and the Holy Spirit, we're the temple because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And so we are to be living sacrifices in this world to offer up our, our lives to God, to, for his glory, to, to be his representation here in this world. And he goes on here in verses 8 and 9, and he kind of switches the topic really quickly. He goes back to what he's already talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 when he observed that there's oppression everywhere. The depression of the poor, and he he's giving a, he was giving us an example of why he's determined life under the sun without the meaning of and the understanding of what God is doing in his creation. Without that, with God at the center, life is meaningless and purposeless. He returns back to this theme of the oppression of the poor and injustice and perversion of righteousness and his conclusion and there's just those two verses is do not be surprised by it so he he observes it in, in uh, ecclesiastes 4 but now he's given us wisdom and the wisdom to us is don't be surprised by it and he doesn't answer the question why shouldn't we be surprised but we have the and this is where we're going to take what solomon's written saying my wisdom, my advice to you is don't be surprised by the oppression. But because we have the completed revelation of God, we, we can answer that question. Why are we not to be surprised by it? And, and in a roundabout way, I hope that you will find some encouragement as you look at things that's going on. Ida's about ready to hit the coast. You know, the natural evil, the hurricane that's going to be causing torment, the things that are going on in Afghanistan. I, I hope you can see and uh, give you a, a little bit of encouragement is and we've talked about it before god is in control but but why is everything seem to be so corrupt why is there 
as he says in verse 8, if you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the Proverbs, don't be astonished by the situation. And he says, this is the reason why, because one official protects another official and a higher official protects them. The system set up for corruption, the system set up for a few people to receive gain and the, and the oppression under the oppression in the pawns of the poor. And the system is set up, he says, for the officials to protect one another. The very people, he said in Ecclesiastes 4, that have the power to relieve the oppression of the poor are the very people doing the oppressing. And as students of history, uh, students of history, we can look back and we can see governmental systems of all kinds, of all names, and we can all look at it and we can see ultimately, no matter what the name is, uh, called uh, appealing to the people and to f- uh, a fair shake in life, all of the systems that we observe in human history are corrupt. Those at the top gain. Those at the bottom are oppressed. And the system set up for that. That's why he says in verse 9, the profit of the land is taken by all. The, even if, so he's putting it in the agricultural context here. The land in, in Leviticus, was, God said this is for the people. This is for everybody. But the system gets set up to where everyone has their hand out. Everyone has a take. And ultimately the king is the one that is served by the field instead of giving it to the entirety of the people. The oppression of the poor. And so how do we answer the question, why should we not be astonished by oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness? God's word gives us the answer, and it's called, the theological term is the depravity of mankind. And so as I was going through this yesterday, as I look over what's going on on the other side of the world, and I just shake my head and say, how can this happen? How can a people want to oppress people so brutally? It's difficult to answer. How, how, you know, and, and Solomon is wrestling with these questions himself. How can God, who is in control, allow these things? And, and the, the answer I, I took, take some solace in it. It's because of the depravity of humankind. That's the consequences of the fall. What we see that's happening on the other side of the world is the consequence of the fall back in the Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 4, after the fall, after God has uh, given the, the curse of the earth and the, the curse to the devil and to Adam and Eve, the, the very next chapter begins in murder. And we have a whole gamut of human history to see the depravity of mankind being played out before our eyes. And we know man is depraved. We're separated from God. And we see the evidence of it in our society and in this world and every part of human history. And God's word speaks to it in the Old Testament. Jeremiah the prophet says this about the heart. In the Bible, the heart is referenced as the soul, the, the inner person. God has fashioned us uniquely. We're all different. In our mother's womb, he created us, the scriptures declare. And when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's the inner person, the inner self, who we are individually and uniquely, how God has fashioned us. And Jeremiah says this, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. He says this heart 
because of the corruption of the fall, is deceitful. The heart that we're born with, the inner self, we're corrupt, we're separated from God, we are naturally rebellious against God. I don't have to teach my parents, my, my parents, my kids, how to do wrong. They naturally come by it, right? It's always directing them to do right. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. We can't even do anything about it. There's no medication that we can take. There's nothing that we can do because it's a spiritual um, representation or description of what's happening in the inside of our separation with God. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful more than anything else and incurable. Isaiah describes in Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 8, the, 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 the reality of sin that plays in our, in our lives and our relationships with one another and society in general. Isaiah uses, or the Lord uses Isaiah here to demonstrate to his people just how much sin has affected their relationships with God and with one another. Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save and his ear is not too deaf to hear. God is strong to save. He is mighty to save. And his ear is not too deaf to hear, but we have a problem here, and this is the problem in verse, this verse here. But your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, and your tongues mutter injustice. No one makes claims justly. No one pleads honestly. So he's describing the sin that no one, no one qualifies. Everyone's in, in, in this same boat. They trust in empty, worthless words. They conceive trouble and give. Uh, they conceive trouble and give. They hatch vipers' eggs and we weave spiders' webs. Whoever eats their eggs will die. Crack one open and a viper is hatched. Their webs cannot become clothing. The, the works that they're doing cannot cover themselves. Speaking of the religious offerings that we often worked up to try to cover the iniquities, and they cannot cover themselves with their works. Their works are sinful works, and violent acts are in their hands. Their feet run after evil, and they rush to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are sinful thoughts. Ruin and wretchedness are in their past. They have not known the path of peace, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made their roads crooked. No one who walks on them will know peace. So that's the reality. That's the depravity of mankind. That's the reality of who we are in this world. The evil and the darkness that we see is because of this. The curse of the earth, the curse of mankind. And so the, the small solace that I take from this is that as I look across and see what has happened on the other side of the world, my the, the, the comment or the conclusion that I arrived at yesterday was, why should I expect any different? If this is who the major reality of mankind and has been demonstrated to us, why should I expect any different? And that's the bad news, right? That's where all of this world is. We're face-to-face -face with the realities of depravity, both in the natural order, the hurricane that's going to slam the coast tomorrow, 
the moral depravity that we see in the oppression of people and other religious systems. But it just makes the good news all the much more. God hasn't left us there. God is on a mission. I remember when we went through John about a year and a half ago, I remember distinctly the day I was studying John chapter 3 and I came to this verse and I was just overcome with sadness because as I was enveloping myself in John and, and, and the first few chapters describing the, the arrivement of the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament from long ago and he's here, he's amongst his people. And he says, the, John says in John chapter 1, he was the light of the world, but the world did not receive him. John 3.19 Right? Jesus was the good news, is the good news. Jesus is the solution to the depravity of mankind. And he arrives, and this is the response of the majority of the world. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because their e- deeds were evil. They loved their deeds and evil deeds more than they liked, loved, or uh, more than they understood the, the light of the world that God has sent through Jesus. How sad. God has sent a means to be saved from it. And yet the majority of the world love their depravity, love their sin, love their rebellion, love their ability to be their own God more than receiving the salvation that is found in Christ. It speaks to the depravity of mankind. Paul in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 speaks of it. Very succinctly um, and scathingly, the, what, what has happened to mankind through their rebellion against God is this. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's wrath, that coming judgment that we've talked about that's found in Revelation 20, it's God carrying out his justice. There would be no unevil deed unpunished in the future everything both of it, he goes on since we can be known about god what we can be, be known about god is evident among them because god has shown it to them god has shown it, who he is through his creation for his invisible attributes his power his all-powerfulness his all-knowingness is demonstrated in his creation there's no excuse he'll get come to that conclusion for anyone as we observe the natural order For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Again, speaking to the heart again. Addressing the heart, this heart that is corrupt and Jesus in his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 15 told them it's not there's a he encountered these religious people who had all these rules about what you can and cannot eat and he says it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man because what comes out of the mouth is from the heart and it's the heart that we're born with that is corrupted and we see Paul describing what the heart the corrupt heart, if left unchecked, plays itself out in, in society. 
Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. They took the glory of God and they reduced it down to some image that they would instead worship instead of God. They would say, here's our God, and put the image before them and deny the glory that is only due to our Creator. Therefore, God, because of this, because of the idol worship, because of them suppressing their truth and their righteousness, God says, that's what you want. From idolatry to depravity. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desire of their hearts to sexual impurity so that the bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. We don't worship Mother Earth. We worship the Creator of Earth. For this God, for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. So depravity being played out. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Midden committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do not do what is right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. These are the things that are in the heart of a person that desires to oppress the poor for their own gain. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, Slanders, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Although they knew no God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, right? Back, all the way back to the foundation in, in Genesis. Adam and Eve, if you do these things, you shall surely die. They not only do them, they do these things even though they know it's against God's what God has commanded. Not only do they do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. And so you see a society increasingly embracing the depravity and, and getting to the point where society applauds them for rejecting God's desire and God's intention for mankind. That's depravity being played out. And what I want to make sure we we understand this this morning is that i am in no way standing up or saying us christians that have it all figured out we're not like them right because all of us who've encountered jesus in a saving way know that jesus saved us from that that we like those guys or the description of those people deserve exactly that outside of jesus that is what we deserve so we're not here I'm not here saying being a holier than thou. Those who've encountered Christ know that this is what God, God Christ has saved us from. The commands of Scripture, Paul would go on in Romans 3 and says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Everybody. There's not one that measures up. Well, there is one. The Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But all of us, none of us measure up. Paul says in Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Again, the announcement of, of 
death because of our sin, separation, and not only the physical separ- death of separation of our body and spirit, but also the spiritual separation of our God and us because of our transgressions, because of our sin. Paul says, you were dead, past tense. In your trespasses and sin, you were dead to God. You were spiritually dead. You had no connection with him. In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. He's writing to the Ephesian church. He's ultimately the Holy Spirit's writing to us. This is who we were before Christ. According to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit not working in the, dis- in the disobedient. It's not just depravity that we're dealing with. It's, a, it's the devil and his demons who desire to, to wreak havoc in God's creation and destroy the things that God has set out that we're fighting against. That's why Paul says many times that we are in a spiritual battle and we need to don the spiritual armor given to us. That This is not a joke. This is not Mayberry. We're in a spiritual battle, contention between good and evil. The devil is real and his demons are real. And we need to take heart to that. Understand the situation that we're in. Uh, we talked about last week how James says if uh, someone that's a, 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 a hearer of the word only and not a doer is someone that is like someone that looks up the perfect law of liberty, looks into it as like a mirror, and then forgets what he looks like and goes on. And that's kind of what we're doing this morning. We're, we're holding up the mirror of God's word and saying this is who we truly are. This is what the, these are the realities. If we want to know and understand what's going on on the other side of the world, this is the reality, the spiritual reality of what we're dealing with. As hard as it is to talk about. I too want to just plug my ears and la 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 and just pretend like nothing's happening, but that's the reality. We have men and women over there in our armed forces standing in the gap for us. This is the spiritual reality of where we're at in this world. The Spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under the wrath. The judgment due us because of our rebellion against God, we were under that wrath as the others were also. And that's the bad news, but thankfully we're at the good news. <laughs> so thankful there's good news. I'll never forget that day when I was so convicted of my sin and my, the reality that my life exhibited a life that was under the wrath of God. And I did not know what the gospel was. I did not know what the good news was. I just knew I, without, I, I knew in and of myself I was without hope. But then the gospel was preached, the, the good news that God hasn't just left us in this depravity and rebellion. God has made a way. But God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, mercy's withholding what we truly deserve because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You see, a dead person can't make himself alive. But God can. Through the rebirth, through the regeneration of the Spirit, He can make us spiritually alive to Him. Through what Christ has accomplished on the cross, we can be made new, we can be given eternal, and, and be made a new creature in Christ. 
God made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. And he says with an exclamation point, you are saved by grace. You're saved by God's unmerited love. There's means you can't earn it. It's given to you as a love gift. We're just like everybody else outside of Christ. We are under God's wrath, but those who receive, hear the message of the good news that Christ has come to to die for them in their place, to to take the punishment in their place and receive them, believe that in their hearts and and turn and abandon hope and all thing other things and and seek Christ and and uh, embrace the promises of, of of the Scripture that He is He that began a good work in us will complete it. We're benefactors of His unmerited grace, His unmerited favor, His unmerited love. He made us alive through Christ. Not only that, He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Spiritually speaking, we are now in the throne room of God because we're in Christ. Those of us who have embraced the gospel message and are saved, regenerated, born again, the spiritual position are no longer someone who is dead in their trespasses and sin, but alive unto Christ and seated on the throne with Christ. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace. Through all of eternity, day, well I guess there's no time in heaven, but through all of eternity he, we're, we're going to be there in his presence. And it has nothing to do with our own meritorious good works. It has everything to do with his grace. For all of eternity his grace will be put on display with the people who don't deserve it but are there. Who are dwelling with their God. And God is dwelling with their people. It's just an amazing gift. I just want to contrast this one more time because I think it's important that we understand this. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 6, gives us this comparison and contrast between those who are outside of Christ and those who are inside of Christ. And, and again, highlighting the fact that we are, we are no better than anybody else when we proclaim the gospel we don't the the automatic assumption is when we encounter someone they're like oh you think you're just holier than thou and blah 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 no we are beggars <laughs> who have received some bread from god and we desire to, for them to know god too we are no better than them or anybody we know what we truly deserve Here's this other contrast. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived, Paul says. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, no greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. I think that's a pretty comprehensive list. Pretty much takes care of everybody. That list also says there's no one outside of God's grace. There's no one outside of God's extension of love. There's no people group or lifestyle that is outside of what can be happen if they hear the gospel and receive Jesus as their Savior. We are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And so we never, as God's people, want to deny a certain person or a certain people who have a certain 
their sin seems to be brewing out in a different, in a unique way. We we embrace them, we love them, we show them God's love and desire for them to have a saving encounter with Jesus, no matter what their lifestyle is. Because all have sinned. We're all the field is level at the foot of the cross. None of those people will inherit God's kingdom. Paul goes on to say, and some of you used to be like this. The King James says, and as such were some of you. Some of us have a pretty checkered past, but we've encountered Christ, and he saved us from it, and and see, he says, such were some of you past tense. You, you're no longer that, but, but your identity is now in Christ, essentially, is what he's saying. And how do we get that? Because why are they no longer in that considered those that will not inherit the kingdom of God? Is it because they joined a church and got baptized and did their, did their all the check boxes and, and did as hard as they could for the rest of their life? And, and, and then hopefully the, the, their good outweighs the bad? No. Why? Are they past tense no longer considered? Is that people, those people groups that will not inherit the kingdom of God? Why? Because you were washed. Titus chapter 3, the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit as you encounter the gospel message and you're convicted of your need and you receive him, the promise is the Spirit of God washes us, makes us anew, makes us a new creation in Christ. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were set apart from the world. Set into God's family. You were justified, righteously declared uh, Legally declared righteous. I got my words mixed up. Legally declared righteous in the eyes of a holy God because he didn't wink at your sin, but Jesus took the sin for you, the, the penalty for the sin for you. So God remains just, yet his love and mercy also is on display at the cross. You were justified in the name of the Lord. You were legally declared righteous. Why? in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's through Christ's sacrifice and the re- being regeneration of the Holy Spirit that we are made new. We are pulled out of who we once were, those that were under God's wrath and not inheriting the kingdom of God and placed into the family of God. And, and it's that point where God desires to transform you into the image of Jesus to make him more and more presence the Spirit desires to do, give us the fruit of the Spirit. The, the walk begins of, of this newness of life at that moment of salvation. It's not something that happens when we go to heaven. It happens at that moment. You're a new creature and He desires to, to make you new, to transform you from the inside out through the power of the Spirit. So ultimately, I'm coming to you this morning. I know it's kind of another heavy sermon, but ultimately, we're living in heavy days. And I hope you find some encouragement as you look and say, how can these things happen over there? We shouldn't expect any different because of what God has revealed to us. We shouldn't be surprised. As time goes on, I think all of us would be in agreement that um, our culture is becoming increasingly and more increasingly um, antagonistic towards the Christian faith. If you look around to other countries, Canada to the north, 
we see, uh, again, the, the attacks of uh, the institutions that God has set up for us um, being perpetrated all throughout the world. And it can leave us with despair, with no hope, but as we go to the scriptures, we, we can understand, look, why should we expect people who do not know, who are not regenerated, to act any differently? And we have the good news. We have the power of God unto salvation because we have the gospel. Hopefully all of us in this room has experienced the gospel, has experienced the good news that Jesus has died for you and that you can be made new. We have the means in which God can interact in this world for good. And even though things seem to be closing in on us, the call to scripture for us as his, his, his children is actually pretty straightforward. He has, I just want to pull three things out as we close here. God's desire for the pastor. Timothy is a, a pastor that Paul put in charge in Ephesus, and he writes to Timothy. Under, he finds out that Timothy's being discouraged. He, he um, is being challenged, and so he writes these letters to Timothy to try to encourage him, to call him to be a good soldier for Christ. And so for the pastor, for the New Testament church, and even though this is specifically written to the pastor, I think all of us can make this applicable to our lives. As we stand and we see the darkness and the depravity of mankind being played out in front of us, right? I'll, I admit, I'll be the first to admit that I like to have the fog around me. I don't like to see all that stuff, but it is, it is a clear, as clear right now of what the depravity of mankind is, is, can do in this world. As that closes around us, God calls us as his, believe, as his children to do this. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. So the first thing is we, we know that no one's getting away with anything. Christ will one day judge the living and the dead. All oppression, all unrighteousness will be judged. And so we leave it in God's hands. And because of his appearing in his kingdom, this is what we are to do. Before that time comes, before Jesus comes back, we are to stand. And we are to preach the word. Ultimately, yesterday, if I chose to just go on and bump over these two passages, I would feel like I didn't, I didn't want to preach the word faithfully because this is what God has put on my heart. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So even when it's popular or not popular, the call for the pastor in the New Testament context in 2021, as we see depravity being played out in our society and around the world, is to preach the word even when it's not popular. We are to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And Paul warns Timothy, and I think it's being played out for us here in our society in 2021, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an, have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. I try not to commentate on my opinion of what political persuasion you should be or 
Christian community because, you know, I, I just want to hide behind God's word and pro- proclaim it faithfully. But I see this Christian landscape, especially in the West, where it's just whatever the people want to hear. Instead of standing firm in the truths of God's word. And as a pastor, that grieves me. To be God, see God's people led astray, knowing that there's a storm coming, that evil days are ahead of us. How are they to stand if they are not grounded in the word of God? We turn away from hearing the truth and we'll turn aside to miss. But as for you, exercise self-control and everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Get the good news out. Christ hasn't come back yet. Christ is still saving people. As we proclaim the good news of what he's done for us in Christ Jesus, that is what he's called us to do. The second point is for the, the believer. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul goes on to describe the armor of God that God has given us. And I encourage you to read that chapter. I have a sermon online on our website that I spoke about the armor of God. You can find it there or you can find somebody else that has taught on it. But it's, it's a good reminder that we are in a spiritual battle. He's given us weapons of our warfare. And we need to take those seriously. But he reminds the believer, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. God's desire for the believer is to stand. Stand for his truth. Stand firm. And for the church, corporately, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus tells John to write messages for the churches, seven churches. Five of them were a call to repentance and to change their ways. Two of them were faithful churches, Smyrna, and here in Philadelphia in Revelations 3, 7, and 8. God has called his church. He tells the church of Philadelphia, and I pray this would be our heart here falls to stand firm in this as well and to the angel which is more than it's me, angel means messenger so more than likely the pastor of the elder of the church and to the angel of the church in philadelphia write the words of the holy one the true one who has taken the key of david who opens and and no one will shut who shuts and no one opens so this is the this is talking about the lord jesus he's given all authority and power if we are placing our faith and our eternities in his hands, we are placing it in the best, the only sufficient hands. Because he is the one that has the key of David, speaking of the Old Testament, fulfillment of the Messiah. He is the one that has all power and authority, who has the power to open and shut. Take this to the bank, he's saying. He tells the church, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So as tempting as it is sometimes for me as a pastor to see our church grow in number and and, and and I certainly want to see that if, if that's God's will for us. This is a reminder to me and hopefully to all of us this morning that 
when the when it comes down to it, the when we sit, come before and give an answer to to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's not going to be on how many people you're able to get in the seats. It's going to be on how faithful you were. He says, "Good job, Church of Philadelphia. Though you had little power, you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name." That's what God is calling us to do during this time. To stand firm, to proclaim the truth, to hold fast to it, and not deny the name of the Lord Jesus. And so as help us as we sometimes feel, the beautiful part is because those of us who are in Christ Jesus are now his children, we have the creator God's ear, (laughs) so to speak. He doesn't have any with his spirit. We can pray to him. He's not up there going, okay, I'm going to wait for the bigger churches and I'll answer their prayers, those small churches. No, he's, we, we have access to the throne of God. We're two or three together, gathered together there, where I'll be in their midst. And we can pray. Second Chronicles 7. In those times of despair, God calls us to pray to call out to him. This is specifically to the children of Israel, so we can't just take this verse and say this is this, but this is a pattern that we can follow. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We can pray. When we feel helpless, those of us who are in Christ Jesus can pray. So I just want to take a few minutes this morning to pray. To pray for the people of Afghanistan. To pray for our soldiers who are standing in the gap. To pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Afghanistan who are soon going to be left to who knows what's in their future. and how The fear that they must be undergoing right now. It's helpless as we often feel we can pray. So let's just take a few minutes individually to pray to God for these specific things. For the natural evil that's about ready to unveil itself on Hurricane Ida on the coast tomorrow or today. Let us pray. Father God, if it's times like this where I just take so much comfort in the passage of Scripture that says when we, even when we don't know what to pray, Father, that the Spirit of God makes intercession for us and prays on our behalf. As we come to you as your people this, this morning with broken hearts of what's going on and depravity being played out in front of our eyes, God, we so earnestly desire your goodness and your righteousness to rule and to reign this, this world again. 
We know you've left us here to be your ambassadors, God. And, and the first thing you call us to do is to pray to you. And so we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning and bring our soldiers before your throne and ask for your protection over them. Father, we pray for their families who are no doubt worried about them. Father, we pray for our leaders. We pray that you would give them wisdom. And there seems to be no wisdom at all. Father, we pray for the people of Afghanistan, our brothers and sisters in Christ who will be left to fend for themselves in the eyes of a um, very dark and bleak future, God. We pray for them. We pray that you would pour out an extra measure of your grace and and love upon them. Give them the strength to endure the trials that you allow them in their lives, Father, that they may uh, see it for good and for your glory. We pray for the church at large that we would rally together, that we'd be unified in our desire to love them, not through word alone, but through action. We pray that your spirit would move amongst the church and move powerfully and mighty that we would be your your vessels used for your righteousness and your good. We pray for our enemies, God, those who desire nothing but death for us and for their desire to oppress. God, they're just like us. They need Jesus. Pray that your spirit would work mightily, that you would raise up missionaries and people to go to reach those who desperately need you, just as we desperately needed you and need you now, that you'd be glorified in the saving of many, for they are no different than us, God. May you snatch them out of the gates of hell. For your glory's sake, we ask, God, that you would just work mightily in our hearts, God, that you'd keep us in our focus on you and that your light would shine bright. The one thing about the darkness increasing, Lord, is your light shines all the more brighter. We pray that be the case for us individually and uniquely and corporately as your church here at Falls. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us if you can.